are you, Ben? Hey, what's up, Doc? All right, today we'll be delving into between a raccoon and a hard place. Uh, are you okay? What? I'm fine. Anyway, on this episode, we'll get to how the mainframe must deal with all the wacky hijinks as raccoon hunting season begins. You mean null season? No, raccoon season. Null season. Raccoon season. Null season. Raccoon season. Null season. <sighs> Whatever. Let's get this Mary Melody started. Warning. Incoming game. Warning. Incoming game. Welcome to Incoming Game, the podcast where we watch... And rewatch ...the 90s animated series Reboot. I'm Jessica, and I've been a fan for a long time. I'm Ben, and I'm watching this for the first time. Each week, we'll take an episode, dissect it, inject some trivia, and try to find our frostiest moments. This week, Season 3, Episode 2, Between a Raccoon and a Hard Place. Today is a very special episode. We have a guest with us. Yes, it is our friend that I met at Max FunCon last year, Alan White. Hi guys, really, really glad to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me on the show. So one of the questions we sometimes ask our guests, or I guess guest, <laughs> we had is, one so far, <laughs> is uh, what's your history with Reboot? Earliest memories and stuff like that. Earliest memories of Reboot come from Saturday morning cartoons when I'd be waiting for Garfield and friends to come on. But like <laughs> when you'd be waiting for that to come on, like a Reboot episode would show up and I'd be really creeped out by it. And so I usually made it <laughs> 90 seconds into the episode before I'd be like, okay. And I don't think, oh, I know I definitely didn't know what an uncanny valley was at that time. But I think part of me asked if this was the uncanny valley. Like, <laughs> just <laughs> Instinctively, that, that yeah. phrase came to mind. So basically, I brought Alan on because I thought we were getting too positive and we needed somebody who, uh, <laughs> who, who maybe wasn't as much of a fan. <laughs> well, and I'm not, I'm not here to tear apart your show or your podcast or do anything like that. I'm really, really happy and I just wanted to, you know, have a discussion about it. No, but I thought it would be good to have like a dissenting point of view because like when we started, you know, I was kind of the, the skeptic of the two, but I've kind of been slowly been getting one over. Now, I will say this. By the time I got to the end of the episode, I didn't hate the show at all. In fact, I didn't think the show was bad even by a long shot. I thought it was kind of dark and it was definitely grittier than I expected it to be. And there was straight up murder on that show. <laughs> <laughs> One thing you pointed out to me before we got on was that you have like a photographic memory of like watching the show for the first time and like what you were doing and what day it was on and how you felt and all that. Well, no, I just have this ability to remember really, really dumb stuff. And I remember, you know, the week that this episode was originally aired. So even though it wasn't airing in the United States, I remember what I was doing that week in, in August uh, 27th of 1997. That's ridiculous. So, so what, what happened? <laughs> oh, I, I was working at a, uh, a Mormon thrift store called Deseret Industries, and my coworker was pressuring me into uh, running a 5K or a, a 10K with him. So uh, I went out and I ran five miles that day, and uh, I, I couldn't walk for like two days. And, um, <laughs> I remember I called in sick, and my manager told me that if I called in sick, I wouldn't be allowed to pick up my paycheck until the next the next time I'd be able to work. And I was like, "Well, I guess I'm not calling in sick." And I like limped to work and and work that day. <laughs> well, shall we uh, jump right into the episode then? Let's go. Great. All right. So today we're doing season three, episode two, "Between a Rock and a Hard Place." It first aired back on August twenty seventh, nineteen ninety seven. 
It was written by Len Wein, and the story is by Gavin Blair, Phil Mitchell, and Ian Pearson. And we jump right into a scene of war propaganda. Yeah, it's a change from the last several episodes where like, it's usually just a pan towards the principal office. This time we kind of started a wall where someone's graffitied over a picture of Enzo. Not just any picture, a picture where he looks like he accidentally switched to the front-facing camera. <laughs> <laughs> He's got like that Shrek chin, you know? Yeah. <laughs> then we get a whole bunch of binomes running in terror from a game already in progress. Which I think is interesting. This is one of the first times we've really seen this kind of reaction to a game before. We're normally following Bob and Enzo and Dot along as they rush heroically into the fray. Yeah. And we get to see this kind of like, you know, man on the street view of a game, which is kind of like a tornado hitting your town. Like... You don't know what's going to happen. If your stuff is going to be there, if people are going to die, it's, you know, it's interesting. Enzo's upset because he didn't get to the game in time. And Fong's just like, eh, it happens sometimes. <laughs> you know, let me just ask you this. So let me ask you, if Enzo can't be in the game and it ends up being a game over, you know, his reaction wasn't very childish like a kid would. He was honestly like moaning, like, did people die because he wasn't able to get into that game? Yes. So what's been established so far is that, yeah, if the user wins the game, that sector that that game is covering is nullified. Any character that was trapped in a game when it gets lost turns into basically a slug creature. So basically you're breaking your computer by winning the game. Oh, wow. So yeah, that's, that's, that's why they try so hard to win is because they're fighting literally for their lives. <laughs> Which really puts a whole spin on, on the playing video games thing. Did the show, was the show always this dark or was this something that was kind of added into season two, season three? It was kind of a gradual tone shift. We kind of talked about this with Gavin, um, the co-creator, is like, especially the first season was more bottle episode and kind of more lighthearted. And then kind of as it was progressing, it was planting the seeds of things that they would call back later and it kind of became more serious and a little bit darker. Okay. Mike is on the scene and he's uh, basically giving us the Hindenburg report, right? He is. Oh, the circuit, the circuitry. Oh, this is terrible, ladies and gentlemen. So many innocent binomes brutally nullified. So have you guys talked about this before, that Mike is literally talking through his ding-dong hole? <laughs> like, that is a penis, and that is his mouth, and he is talking through his ding-dong. So, just so we're clear... Because his mouth is below his TV set, and it is right between his legs. You know what? That's very true. I'll give that to you. Uh, yeah. You're not wrong. It's a freaking baby's arm down there, too. It was amazing. <laughs> so, yes, Mike is uh, reporting on the destruction of the Hindenburg sector. Uh, but Hack and Slash interrupt his broadcast. Hack and Slash here are kind of fair-weather minions. Like, now that Megabyte's back in charge, they're back to being loyal again. <laughs> Megabyte's forces are moving in. And Fong has to call off any help and raise the shield, abandoning the sector. Fong is the racist stereotype that looks like the alien from Independence Day, right? Yes. Okay. He's apparently playing Pac-Man in the background, too. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, just kind of like, well, we're boned. Raise the shields. <laughs> uh, we get to see the devastation that the game has wrought, uh, which we don't normally see because normally the games are won. Uh, we get to see like this whole like wreckage as, you know, some binomes leave with what little they have and others are sorting through the wreckage for what they can find. Captain Picard picks up a little guardian doll that we've seen before. So a uh, megabyte appears on a vid window and tells them to swear fealty and uh, <laughs> hand over their PIDs. Okay, what is a PID? Is that their currency? 
That is their personal identification. Oh, geez. So it's it's their code. It's their very existence. It's essentially their like social security number. <laughs> oh my gosh. So Megabyte is a virus, and he's going to infect their PID. And do either of you guys have a medical background to know what a PID is? In medicine, no. <laughs> okay, so. PID is now the politically correct term for an STD, pelvic inflammatory disease. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, you know, you say virus and I'm like, oh, virus PID, that's related. <laughs> <laughs> so we have this Picard guy and he tells them, he, he kind of like makes a stand. Surrender our PIDs to you? We're tired of living in fear. A line must be drawn here. Resistance is futile, and Picard gets deleted, which terrifies these bystanding businessmen <laughs> who immediately hand over their icons. And I mean, this is dark. We get to see like his shoes smoking, his PID light. Like, there's nothing left of him. Ugh, that was sad. I had to laugh, though, because those, those little businessmen binomes cracked me up. <laughs> <laughs> those uh, blocks on blocks people, they're called binomes? They're called yes. binomes. So they come in ones and zeros. So the ones are the ones that are blocks on top of each other, and the zeros are the roundish looking guys. They're the orbs with the square eyes. That's who we're talking about, right? Yeah. So there's a Disney movie called The Black Hole from when before we were kids, um, like in the late 60s, early 70s, there was a really high budget special effects movie called The Black Hole. And there were two floating robots. And one of the robots is virtually identical to uh, these zeros. Oh, I kind of see it. Yeah, I can kind of see it. That is definitely where the design came from for those orbs. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. This this would be right in the generation that uh, the guys who created the show would have would have been aware of this movie. We'll have to ask Gavin about it. So yeah, we get to see that uh, there's more anti Enzo propaganda going up, and Cyrus is the one pasting them up there. He's uh, putting up his fake news propaganda as a uh, dot and mouse look on, and it seems uh, Megabyte's plan is to have the citizens of Mainframe lose faith in their guardian. Dot goes in and out of a southern accent is she doing that ironically or as a joke oh, i think you're confusing dot and mouse mouse is the purple one and dot is the green one mouse has the southern accent no 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 it was dot who was trying to use a southern accent and i was like this doesn't sound like a southern accent at all but she was going in and out of it i didn't hear that fong suggests they fight fire with fire and lift enzo up in the hearts and minds of the people he's like it's time to get mad it's time to stand up go to a window stick your head out and shout i'm mad as hell and i'm not gonna take it anymore <laughs> <laughs> dot's not very keen on the plan because uh that means enzo going into the games without her pretty much right enzo pleads his case but to no avail uh, she doesn't want to see her little brother get hurt so mouse promises to babysit just this once but fong points out that Mouse and Andrea can't go into the games because they are not equipped to reboot. Yeah, they're not compatible. <laughs> <laughs> we knew Andrea wasn't. I was surprised to hear Mouse wasn't. Yeah, so the, the point being, if they lose, they'll be sucked back up with the game. So that's when uh, Mouse gets to work downloading some shady, untested beta program from the dark web. It'll <laughs> <laughs> be fine. It's just fine. It's untested, but Enzo's not worried. So meanwhile, uh, Dot has a plan to deal with uh, Megabyte, and Fong's like, hmm, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, you sure about this one? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to be like, really, Fong? One of your plans involved building a series of bug-based robots that turn into a larger <laughs> robot, and you're questioning Dot. It's just, it, hers seems a little flimsy. A little thin? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, she's like, we don't have time to get fancy. And he's like, yeah, but come on. Fong is not allowed to weigh in on plans ever. So 
<laughs> they also mentioned that since the portals to the net are closed up, I'm afraid Bob has effectively locked us in the cage with the tiger. I'm not locked in here with you, you're locked in here with me! But they blame Bob like it's his fault that they got double-crossed in the first place, you know? It's like Bob left us here. Well, you know, that's, anger is one of the stages of grief. So, uh, Megabyte, by the way, speaking of the tiger... Oh, Shere Khan. Dang it, you you stepped on my Shere Khan jokes. I had, like, three Shere Khan jokes that I was gonna, like, toss in later on. Uh, we got Megabyte back with Air Doctor who is fitting something on his wrist and one of his generals checks in to let him know that they're in place to prevent Enzo from getting into the next game. Yeah, he warns him. He's like, do not harm the boy. Just humiliate him. <laughs> yeah, he's a much better prop when he's alive. He's re they're ready for another game already. How, how many games does this user play? It seems like that's all he does. And it's hard to tell, too, because when they talk about time, like a minute is like years. That's true, yeah. <laughs> so like... Not a lot of time would have passed for them. This, this is like one day where this user is playing like 50 games. <laughs> <laughs> so as the game comes down, Dot and Enzo start flying towards it with a bunch of ABCs in pursuit. And it's not just the two of them. There's hundreds of Dots and Enzos. Sir, the whole sky is filled with Dot and Enzos. And they're not all real. Yeah, it's the old hide-in-plain-sight gambit. <laughs> Where are they getting all these cardboard cutouts? Did they have to make a trip to Lost Angles to get them printed? <laughs> Where do you get all these beautiful toys? Uh... I was actually more impressed by how many hoverboards people had. That was a lot of hoverboards they had going on. <laughs> yeah. Hoverboards seem to be the common mode of transport. There's billboards for them everywhere you look. Oh, I didn't notice that. <laughs> so hiding behind three of the cutouts are the real Enzo, along with Mouse and Andrea, but Andrea starts to lose power in her hoverboard and sink. She calls out for Mouse and Mouse runs over to help her. And as she does, Andrea grabs the zipboard right underneath Mouse's feet and zips off into the game. Sorry, Mouse. <laughs> Doing a real bang up job babysitting there, Mouse. Just like walk back to Dot and tell her, well, I lost the kids. <laughs> Mouse, the like uber hacker with a samurai sword that has taken on giant web creatures is beaten by like a seven year old. <laughs> Though, to be fair, Andrea has pointed out multiple times that she's a game sprite. She is a warrior. So it's game time, and we are in a desert wilderness with a lone gas station among the cacti. Gassy Jacks. <laughs> it's pretty much a perfect 3D replica of a Roadrunner set. And Andrea reveals that she stopped Mouse from entering the game because there's no sense in getting them both trapped. And besides, she's like, remember, I'm kind of from here, you know? I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, Enzo's not too sure about his girlfriend being the one that's the uh, guinea pig here. But he doesn't really get a choice in the matter. Andrea's kind of put her foot down here. And that's when Prospector Pete waddles up and spits at Enzo. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, looks like my racist cousin's Facebook post was right about you. Oh my gosh, that guy's face was like the dirtiest butthole I'd ever seen. I'm sorry I see like ding-dong holes and buttholes everywhere, but uh, that's all I saw. Like, I'm I'm generally impressed by how many mustaches there are in the game. That's awesome and everything. But that that mouth and that, that like beard, that prospector's beard was rough stuff. <laughs> Why don't we check in with Hex? <laughs> So yeah, back in the tour, we get to see what the doctor's been up to. And uh, Hex appears out of a little bubble. What, what have you done to me? She's got a cracked mask now, a much more BDSM look, and a complete with a restraining collar around her neck. Yeah, she looked awesome. She looked totally awesome. Oh yeah, she looks great. 
Yeah, they they definitely upped the look here. They like I mean, they they threw in garters and everything. They're not hiding. I like that they essentially had her in one of those bubble wands. Like they just lift her up and blow a bubble. <laughs> <laughs> she tries to leave. She's like, "Thanks for the new duds, bye." But Megabyte activates the shock collar and she falls to the floor, twitching. And then he laughs maniacally some more. He does that a lot in this episode. So back in the game, Enzo is trying to use Glitch to figure out what game he's in. And the prospector's like, um, excuse me, just maybe just fucking take a look around you. <laughs> yeah, there's a <laughs> giant Looney Tunes-like uh, title card there that says they're in Rocky, the rabid raccoon. Yeah, at first I got like a Crash Bandicoot vibe off of uh, Rocky there. I can see that in the, the way he was designed. Uh, they're obviously leaning into that Looney Tunes, though, with the way they have the title card and all the jokes that they throw in this episode. And it's time to reboot. So Andrea reboots into a cool biker babe, and uh, Enzo reboots into Elmer Fudd. <laughs> Poor kid. Yeah, who is the biker babe in Looney Tunes, by the way? What was the significance of biker babe in a Looney Tunes cartoon? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was just to make the contrast, you know, because you think that he's going to become some, like, you know, badass motorcycle guy, and it's just Elmer Fudd. I think it has to do with their level, too. So, like, the first level was you know, Route 66 kind of looking place. Uh, so to go with the theme. And can I just say, Enzo as Elmer is super uncanny valley, speaking of Oh, that. it is oh. so weird. Seeing him as like an actual Caucasian was unsettling. <laughs> it, I think that was the weirdest thing about it. If they had made his skin color like unreal, if they'd made it blue or green or purple, it probably would not have been nearly as weird. But making it white skin, I was just like, huh, huh. Yeah. Not only his look too, but now from here on out, he actually talks like Elmer Fudd and replaces all of his R's with W's, you know? Yeah. Just when you thought a character wasn't annoying anymore. Let's get ready to wumble! <laughs> <laughs> so, at any rate, the uh, at this point, the titular raccoon shows up, and he is very much a Tasmanian devil type of creature. Uh, Tasmanian devil, a little bit crossed with bugs, because he goes all hard eyes for Andreas as soon as he sees her. <laughs> I mean, they definitely throw in the Roadrunner with the way that he moves so quickly. And they leave that, that very distinctive smoke trail behind him. Or dust trail. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but character-wise, Tasmanian Devil all the way. They had probably had to combine all the characters so that they didn't have like one like particular copyright infringement. Oh, you mean like Elmer Fudd? <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> Golly. So, uh, yeah, so Enzo shoots his rifle, but the bullet bounces and sets off this whole long Rube Goldberg chain of events. It is complete ridiculousness that ends eventually with a fried vulture landing on Rocky's head, causing him to happen to wander into the path of an oncoming train. And die. <laughs> I didn't hate that, by the way. Actually, I really enjoyed that. You know who did hate it, though? The prospector. He was very unimpressed. Yeah, lucky shot. So meanwhile, Mouse is explaining how a seven-year-old girl got the better of her. Dot is completely dressing her down. She's like, you let my brother in the game alone with that tramp? How could you? Yeah, which, you know, a little racist, Dot. <laughs> Andrea's hang out with you for a while now. I know. Yifong has to reassure her that Andrea's no threat to any of them because she's in love. Fong totally ships them. Dot acts like that's a huge surprise to her, too. She has not been paying attention at all. <laughs> Well, Fong, Fong starts out with she's in love, but then he says, she's in love with all of you. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, so you made that plot a lot less interesting. <laughs> well, no, she's specifically in love with Enzo, but she cares about them all. Meanwhile, Fong is just like, should I call them 
Andrea? Should I call them Anso? What should their name be? <laughs> so either way, uh, looks like they need a new plan, and Dot is fresh out. So back in the game, Andrea's motoring down the highway. She's got the prospector up front and Fudd riding back. And Rocky runs by in a cloud of smoke, stealing the cycle out from under them. Where he has a missile waiting for them. He presses a button and launches it and ends level one. Yep, the missile starts heading down towards them, and it's just like, uh-oh. Yeah, so they're they're all anxious, like, we gotta get out of here, but the prospector's like, nah, I'll rather take my chances here. And Andrea's like, alright, fine, stay. <laughs> but Enzo's guardian programming won't let him leave him, so Andrea just gives him a quick, like, Vulcan neck pinch, and then they hide in a tree. <laughs> <laughs> I love how pragmatic Andrea is here. She's a kid, but she's just like, no, we could just let this guy die. That's fine. <laughs> she has no concern, whereas Enzo is trying to be all, like, moralizing here. So the missile lands, and we get American Gothic Margie. He's that guardian young. Jeez, oh, a bit young if you ask me, for sure. <laughs> They're not very impressed with the whole rescuing skills. No, the prospector's just, like, twitching on the ground, drooling like he's having a seizure. And so they're like, oh, ah, oh, jeez, you know, Bob would have at least kept him conscious. Oh, look, he's swallowing his tongue, don't you know? <laughs> <laughs> so they ask where Rocky is, and the scarecrow points over to Rocky playing whack-a-mole. But he stops playing whack-a-mole to head over to a basement, which is a bonus level? Yeah, there's an extra life in the underground shelter there. And uh, Enzo tries to convince the other binomes to help come with him, but they're all just like staring at their shoes like nobody wants to join up. So he gives a rousing speech, and it actually works? Kinda. It's impeded by the fact that he sounds like a widow baby. Okay, I may not be Bob, and I'm only a widow sprite, but if we don't start working together, we'll all be deleted! <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's enough for the prospector, though, who uh, rallies behind him, <laughs> followed by everyone else. I think Andrea was maybe standing behind the prospector with a pointy finger, just going, yeah. <laughs> uh, did you want another shot of this paralyzing poison? Because I can. <laughs> so they get down there, and they create a human tower to reach the coin before Rocky can get to it. And then they grab a hose and get pulled up through a manhole cover, leaving Rocky to be attacked and killed by a bunch of ghoulies in the dark. Yeah, dude, that was terrifying. <laughs> it was really cool. <laughs> I wasn't sure if those ghoulies were, like, dressed-up binomes at first or not. No, they were totally the skeletons of binomes, and that's why I was freaking out about how cool they were. Because, <laughs> like, the, the zeros were just these weird spherical skulls with little, like, arms and legs coming out of them. You know, it, the, that that scene reminded me of, like, the Lego Scooby-Doo that my daughter watches. And, like, <laughs> the Lego Scooby-Doo has scary moments like that that always end up, like, comical. But, like, you know, the ghosts don't end up, like, murdering, like, uh, like a bystander. Or, like, the antagonist doesn't get murdered by ghosts. And I was like, holy crap. Well, you have to realize, too, that, like, this raccoon is actually the person playing the game, and they have three lives. Oh, okay. You do realize your diehard fans are going to hate me, by the way. Because I keep, <laughs> I keep asking these questions like, now, who's that green feller right there? And uh, is he anatomically correct? <laughs> this was me, though, in the first episode of the podcast, though. It really was. So it's kind of nice to, like, kind of get that feel again. Say so the Bynums are celebrating their victory over uh, life number two. And the prospector even calls Enzo Guardian. Yeah, yeah, he's winning him over. Uh, so then they start to plan on their next steps. Yeah, Rocky appears. He's craving food and energy. He's, like, strung out, looking for a fix. 
He's like scratching his itches. And he's, so it must be time for a musical interlude, right? Low energy. Need food. Yeah, he sees a uh, Java vending machine and there's a Rastafarian binome standing there <laughs> strumming a guitar. He's like starts singing, distracting the raccoon for a few seconds before pulling out a knife. Not just any knife, like a freaking machete. <laughs> <laughs> that vending machine was nasty looking too. Like I, I was, I'd be surprised if it actually produced coffee. So he runs away from the binome with the machete and finds another vending machine. With mashed potatoes. Yeah, my six-year-old wanted to know where she could find a mashed potato vending machine after that. Japan, probably. I think it's an important question to ask, like, in the great city of Toronto, is there a mashed potato vending machine that nobody's telling us about? (laughs) (laughs) That's a question for Gavin. (laughs) But, like, so he starts, like, shaking the machine, which is a surefire way for it to topple on him. Yeah. You know? Seriously. There's, like, eight people a year that die from vending machines. That's too many. And then we get a binome in a trench coat creeping up who straight up shows him his dick. This... This joke! I couldn't believe it! My mouth is, like, wide open. But, okay, please tell me you guys heard the thud when he did The thud! Okay, it wasn't just me. There was a thud in no, the screenshot. There was a there was a thud. What the heck? I was like, no freaking way. I watched it, like, five times. They have him open up the trench coat, and I'm like, oh, they're, you know, they're making a joke for the adults, but they're gonna flip around, and he's gonna have, like, a gun in the trench coat or something. But they never flip around, and they, you just hear this thud of what I assume is a 10-pound penis <laughs> hitting the ground. See, that's that's the thing, is we, when, once you lose the, um, the BS&P restrictions, you know, we're talking about binome dicks now, you know? Yeah, I was dying at this. Oh, man. So, yeah, so Rocky understandably freaks out and runs away, only to be met with a crowd of angry villagers. Who then chase him down an alleyway and then block off his escape. And we get to see some binome butt crack here, too. Like, I never anticipated having to say these words together. (laughs) (laughs) We are, like, getting into some areas of binomes that I had never expected. (laughs) They just, they really upped the rendering. (laughs) (laughs) So Rocky gets stuck in some tar that has been placed in the alley, and then Enzo comes around the corner in a steamroller to judge doom his ass. Which he pauses for a moment, worried that Andrea's icon won't work. But Andrea's just like, let's go, and pushes that thing forward. Time to die. So they run over Rocky, he gets a little a little skeleton sign up, and the game is won. I know Ben is a quiz master as much as I am. So Ben, can you name two other movies that have steamroller murders in it? <laughs> no. Um, I can think of A Fish Called Wanda and Austin Powers. Oh, Oh, yeah, okay. And technically, Kevin Klein doesn't die in A Fish Called Wanda. He just gets squished and then climbs on the outside of a plane. So the game ends, and everyone finally accepts Enzo as a guardian with some real appreciation around here. Uh, Enzo freaks out for a moment because he can't find Andrea, and the prospector binome, who is now a proper gentleman, but he still has the same (laughs) voice. Uh, points out that Enzo still can't see what's right behind him. And Andrea's just like, hi, I'm just standing here. And they embrace, but it's a short-lived victory as the ABCs are right on schedule to take them all downtown. And Enzo adopts this, like, challenging stance, like, I'll take all you motherfuckers down right now. I just want to be like, uh, yeah, Enzo, you didn't see what happened to Picard. Yeah. 
<laughs> but it works. They all run away. So here's my question for you. The the lead ABC bot guy who was talking to them, telling them to surrender, that guy's voice is identical to J.K. Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was identical to J.K. Simmons. I went on and I, like, did, like, a deep web search to see if maybe J.K. Simmons <laughs> did some stuff. It's more than likely the same guy who voices Mike the TV. He does a lot of the little incidental voices. Michael Michael Donovan. Yes. He's like the Billy West of this show. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the uh, Megabytes army flees in the face of Enzo's stern glare. But again, Enzo has to be pointed out that there's something behind him. <laughs> <laughs> and they turn to see a huge army behind him again. <laughs> Yeah, it's all the cop cars, which just turned out to be even more cardboard cutouts. Like, they really spent a lot of time at Kinko's getting these things made up. Or if maybe Fong just has, like, a secret print shop in his back office. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you know that Dot owns at least five of the print shops in mainframe. Reboot! <laughs> So uh, what did you think, Alan? You know, I actually really enjoyed it. And the second time around, I actually took a second to watch the credits. And mad props, dude. There is a huge technical department that was run, that was making that episode. And they named every single person. And uh, it was one of those things where it wasn't... I don't think they were outsourcing their animation. Uh, it looks like all that stuff was done in studio. And uh, there was like a thousand names on those credits. And it looked like everybody was getting due credit. Yeah, this was like a pretty small, in retrospect, a pretty small department. It was uh, all based in Canada for the most part. Reboot was their first, and then they had started doing Beast Wars um, in between seasons of Reboot, which I think probably helped them get the third season of Reboot right out. So what about you, Jessica? What were your thoughts? I really liked this episode. It was crazy. I feel like uh, an episode where they just spent all day in Looney Tunes in season one would have been not fun at all. But they just, they went for it here, and it really worked. I thought it was great. (laughs) (laughs) This was a good episode for me to start with. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I had a million questions, and I didn't understand context for a lot of stuff. But, like, it was a thing where by the end of it, my daughter and I were like, oh, maybe we'll watch the next episode. Awesome. So, you know that I usually tend to go for the wacky episodes. Uh Uh-huh. But for whatever reason, this one didn't really work for me as much, honestly. (laughs) And I... Maybe it was just like a little too far into the wacky zone or Enzo's, you know, wascally wabbit lisp did it. But like it kind of was similar to the D&D one where I kind of appreciated it more on the second watch when I was taking my notes than I did on the first. I liked that we got into stuff like war propaganda. Like we got like a little bit of that, which is, you know, a real thing that we're dealing with today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Don't think I didn't think about like modern day comparisons to that entire episode the entire time. Yeah, it was was interesting that you know, for a kid's show. And I'm, I feel like I've got to use kids in quotes now mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> that they went into that. But then even more than that, you got to see this kind of like build of what they're trying to do. Like, like Megabyte's not just taking over the whole system in one swoop. He's going sector by sector. Like he's being very methodical about it. I felt like plot wise, it didn't really move the arc forward that much at all. Like, except to give Enzo a little bit more respect. But otherwise, like, I feel like you could skip this one completely, I'm guessing, and probably not miss it in the overall arc. That's probably accurate, all things considered. I mean, you get to see a little bit of stuff. Like, we get to see what's happening with Hacks. But yeah, for the most part, I think we're, I think you're right. But again, like, it, it, I didn't find it to be bad. Like, I didn't hate the episode at all. It's just, I think going in, I was expecting to like it a lot more. <laughs> But like I said, I did appreciate it a bit more on the second go-round. 
You know, one thing that's relatively interesting is hex, short for hexadecimal. That was like one of the first codes I ever learned in computer programming. And that's what I used to hack video games. So I thought that was kind of a neat comparison. That the villain is a a game hacker and uh, her name is Hex. That's fun. Pixelacious! So Jessica, did you bring the trivia this week? I did. We have a signature segment called Bits and Bites that I half the time forget to name. <laughs> All right, so our first bit and bite today is that we have a new intro again. Yeah, it's it's always fun when the intro is all scenes from just the first two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the same intro like voiceover that we had from last episode. Uh, but with a few more clips from the season thrown in. Uh, most of them are from this episode, but we have some from the next two that are coming up as well. Uh, so it's the first four episodes that we're seeing clips from. And it's kind of fun because next week we're going to have a new intro again. <laughs> so <laughs> look out for it. You just keep updating it as they get new uh, backstory. Well, so the next intro is actually a very special intro. So I'm very excited for you to see it. Okay. <laughs> so... Uh, the next bit is that we have Len Wein is the writer of this episode. And like when I found this out, I'd like freaked out about it. Is this Wein from the band Wein? <laughs> no, I actually might be saying his name wrong. I don't know if it's Wen or Wein. It's a W-E-I-N. Um, but he's one of the co-creators of like early 1980s, late 1970s Wolverine and the X-Men. I mean, this these were the comics that I like got into comics on. Like I picked up the essential X-Men and started reading that Chris Claremont, like early stuff and Len Wein helped create that. So like the Wolverine that you know, Colossus, Storm, Nightcrawler, like Len Wein was a part of that. Who are those? (laughs) (laughs) Then don't even. So yeah, he's like he's like a huge name in comics. And so the fact that he wrote this episode is really, really cool for me. <laughs> I'm geeking out. We get Captain Picard. Yeah, and it's not John Luke. Uh so yeah, it's not the binome John Luke that we've met before. That's like how they have two Kirk binomes, so they got two Picard binomes too. <laughs> so he not only quotes Picard from first contact. Not again. The line must be drawn here. This far, no farther. But then Megabyte quotes the Borg right back at him. Resistance is futile. We get the tons of Looney Tune references here. So Rocky is obviously mixed between Bugs and the Roadrunner and Taz. And so is Elmer Fudd right down to the speech impediment. We get the the title card. Yeah. The classic Looney Tunes title card. I think the buzzard. The buzzard, yeah. The buzzard is a character in Looney Tunes. No, 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 no. Uh, all that stuff. We get the couple from American Gothic, so the Grant Wood painting, and uh, we get the Who Framed Roger Rabbit reference with the steamroller. <laughs> so apparently, and I had I saw this in the wiki, and I had to go back into the episode to find it, and I'm surprised anyone found this. It was so difficult to read. Uh, when we're down in the subway with Rocky, there's graffiti on the subway, and it's written backwards. Now, two of them are just kind of like random things, but one of the graffiti says Bob is dead. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, you know what? Okay. So that's like a reference to Paul is dead from the Beatles. We got Marge Gunderson back again. Uh, and then we got Sailor Moon. She was one of the random binomes that were crowding them at the end. Oh, really? I was excited about Sailor Moon showing up. She shows up again later, along with some of her sensei, some of her buddies. <laughs> So let's get into the game, Jessica. So the first instinct is to go with Looney Tunes games. 
of which there was a whole bunch. There's a bunch of Bugs Bunny series, Daffy Duck series, there's a Tasmanian Devil series, there's Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner, Speedy Gonzalez, Sylvester and Tweety, Tiny Toon Adventures. The Tasmanian Devil game in for the Sega Genesis was really good. I enjoyed it. Oh, you know what? I think I played that. Yeah, so there's one called Tasmania for the Sega Genesis in 1992. These games were on like every system. We're talking Atari, we're talking Sega... Um, we're talking PCs. The Tiny Toons Adventure ones were put up by Konami for the NES and the Game Boy. Yeah, they're like all over the place. And they're all for the time period too. I mean, I think the oldest one I'm seeing here is from 1983. There was a Taz game for Atari. So they go way back. Um, and they go way forward. There is a Looney Tunes World of Mayhem game for the iOS and the Android in 2016. So we have yet to run out of Looney Tunes games. And Ben, you mentioned Crash Bandicoot. Yeah. There's, I think there's definitely a lot that's similar to Crash Bandicoot here because you have the kind of like wild animal cartoon looking guy going down this very cartoony three-dimensional platform. Um, so this was released by Naughty Dog. Uh, back in the day, which was pretty funny because if you play the new um, Uncharted, you actually get to play Crash Bandicoot in Uncharted. <laughs> you, the character picks up an old PlayStation controller and then you get to play Crash Bandicoot for a little bit. But it originally came out back in 1996. It a, was a PlayStation exclusive um, and eventually showed up on multi-platform over in like 2001, a lot later. So would you guys play this game? I would. Yeah, this fun like part where you're doing the um, the whack-a-mole. So it feels like something with a lot, like a lot of little like mini games and side games, which I always enjoy. I think it keeps stuff fresh. I think yeah, like if I think about it, sort of sort of like a Crash Bandicoot game where I'm kind of like racing, running, trying to beat like the guy in the car and like get to the missile in time. Yeah, I think I think that's fun. I would do that. Yeah, I think it'd be pretty fun. I like stuff with like bonus levels and mini games and and like. Yeah. Side things. And then having to get that coin in the in the uh in the shed or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I would have been all about that. That would have been fun. To show how pointless the game was, you know, it didn't really make a lot of sense like what the guy was trying to do, but like eventually his goal at the end of level 1 was to launch an ICBM and you're like, "Okay, well that doesn't make any sense for a, a raccoon to do, but whatever." Well, the point of the video game Tasmania for the Sega Genesis was to eat an albatross egg. Like <laughs> That's what his goal was. Is like at the end of the game, he just wanted to kill an albatross and eat a giant albatross egg. So, you know. So this falls very well within the Looney Tunes. Correct. Canon. Priorities. This is wrong. This is all wrong. So every week we like to award the golden pigtail to our frostiest moments. Jessica, do you have one? Oh, God. It was hard to pick one. And normally I'm the one who's picking the serious stuff. All of my <laughs> ones are the crazy, wacky stuff. So first of all, he's playing that whack-a-ball game. And the gophers come up and they make like a little like hand gestures. Like, yeah, yeah, you can't catch me. The hands on the gophers are so weird. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed this. Yeah. But they are large human hands. So not only they're human on gophers, but they're like slightly too large and they were freaking me out. <laughs> like, uh, and then we get the, the flasher joke. Yeah. Yeah. Like we heard a, a penis thud on the ground. <laughs> like I was just, I, I was in shock. I like walked away from the TV because I could, I was just like, what just happened? What What's going on right now? Uh, but I think my winner, my frostiest moment, has to be the binome skeletons. Oh, yeah. They were just so cool, like, to see, like, the, the weird structure they came up for these guys. And 
especially the zeros that are just like a skull with arms and legs uh the the ones had a rib cage but they had their kind of like little circle thing as like a bone it was really cool so what about you alan did you uh, find yourself a frosty moment oh yeah from the the instant i found a man who was talking through his penis that was my character <laughs> that was going to be it i was like there's no way somebody hasn't pointed this out before all right so mike the tv gets their frosty moment <laughs> All right, Ben, what about you? What's your frosty moment for today's episode? For me, I mean, yeah, there was a lot of like goofy bits like the ones you were talking about. But for me, the part that made me laugh the most actually was outside of the game. And it was those like businessman binomes that like after Picard got vaporized, like they're just like, you know, shaking in their shoes and just handing over their PIDs. But for whatever reason, it was just like very comical in my eyes. So, uh, Jessica, it looks like you put out a uh, call online for some uh, feedback. Yep, we got a couple frosty moments from people here. At Weka Magoose, or Kimura, on Twitter, says that their frosty moment was Enzo and Andrea holding hands at the end. Like, just in case Mouse's thing didn't work, let's go out together moment. Which, you know... It's pretty sweet. Normally, that would be my kind of thing. I was just too put off by the weird things in this episode. <laughs> uh, William Burton on uh, Facebook pointed out the raccoon hat song <laughs> as his. <laughs> He's not the only one. Uh, I've, I saw a few people online talking about this episode that they loved that Rastafarian final. <laughs> that was their favorite part of this episode. I did notice the Rastafarian's guitar was one single string. It was like a six string guitar. All strings were gone minus one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did notice that uh, we do have a new Patreon backer this week. It is a new $5 backer, Rob Delia. Oh, Rob! So Rob gets a nickname. Would you like to do the honors? Well, we could give him a nickname based on the fact that Rob is going to be a new daddy soon. I was just going to call him Rob, just here for the bonus content, Delia. <laughs> <laughs> that works too. <laughs> so thank you rob congratulations rob rob was also uh my dm for a while on my first foray back into D after many years away uh we played 4e together um and he dm'd while i played my cool albino dragonborn paladin of the raven queen so <laughs> so thanks rob for supporting us listening you're a cool guy <laughs> i think it's time to make this voyage unprofitable so I uh, think that'll almost do it for us this week. Is there anything you want to recommend to our listeners, Jess? Oh, yes, I do. Um, I just finished a book called Jade City. It's by uh, Sponda Lee. It's kind of like this alternate 1950s Hong Kong with like weird kung fu powers. Uh, but it follows this mob family, essentially. Uh, this kind of like Yakuza-esque clan that runs part of the city. Uh, it's got a lot of feeling for me like reading Game of Thrones for the first time, except you're only following the Stark family, and it's kind of also like Mad Men. But it has kind of that Game of Thrones vibes to it, where you have this family that you really want to succeed in this kind of war of control. So I, I really enjoyed it. I just finished it up. The next one doesn't come out until next year, so I'm very sad. Uh, but you guys check it out. It's really cool. It's called Jade City by Fonda Lee. 
What about you, Alan? Anything you want to recommend to our listeners? Um, yeah. Um, Book-wise, I am currently reading a book with my daughter. She's six years old called The Tiara Friends. So if you want, if you have children who are of reading age, uh, I recommend The Tiara Friends because there's a really hilarious joke that the whole series is based on that the kids totally don't get, but the adults all laugh at. Uh, it's a, the, the story focuses on a princess and her best friend who is basically identical to her and uh, they're, they are not related, but one is a princess and the other one is the daughter of the queen's handmaid. And so you're like, who are you trying to fool? <laughs> like, obviously, we know why these two kids look just alike. But uh, the book does nothing to point that out. It covers, like, mysteries that the girls are covering, like when a tiara goes missing and all that other stuff. And my daughter loves these these mysteries that she's solving as a kindergartner. But, uh, yeah, you know, read those with your kids. Get in on the joke as an adult and never explain it to your children because they're not going to get it. It's a, a mystery just for you. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, let me just plug two of my friend's podcasts. My friend Susie has a podcast about looking at birds out your window called The Casual Birder, which I love. And then um, my friend Woody has a podcast that focuses on the movie My Dinner with Andre that he covers minute by minute called My Minute with Andre. Oh, yeah. We'll be having him on in a couple of weeks, actually. If all goes well, I'll throw in a recommendation for a podcast I just discovered called Everything is Alive. It's uh, by Ian Chillog, and uh, basically he interviews somebody each week who is an inanimate object. So (laughs) the first two episodes, he interviews Lewis, a can of cola, and uh, the second one is Maeve, who is a lamppost. And uh, they're about a half hour long. They're very funny, uh, and it's called Everything is Alive. Awesome. That sounds fun. Jessica, what do we have next week? So next week we have Firewall. Uh, so we get to see the good guys kind of like getting back at Megabyte and trying to go on the offensive a little bit to control his move into the sector. And we also get a really fun intro for the episode. I'm really excited about you seeing this and knowing <laughs> what the hell is happening. Because uh, that was my reaction when I first watched it. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> and this is going to be the penultimate episode for the first four episode arc. Oh, yes. All right. So thanks again, Alan, for joining us. It was a pleasure. Guys, it was my pleasure. You ever want me to come back on? I'd be happy to watch another episode and say I've seen things. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it was super great to get a new person's opinion again. We, we've kind of won over Ben. So now we've got other people to win over. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to join us online, you can find us on Twitter at IncomingGamePod and Facebook at IncomingGameCast or just IncomingGameCast.com. You can also find me on at Dudworks, D-U-D-W-O-R-K-S. You can find me at StirvinaLady. That's S-T-I-R-V-I-N-O, Lady. And of course, if you want to get on our Patreon, you can get episodes a week early and all kinds of other bonus content. Like uh, we just put out a season two wrap up with uh, co-creator Gavin Blair. That's just for our $5 and up backers. And uh, that's at patreon.com slash incoming game. Our theme music is Spasmatica Polka by Kevin McLeod. And our intro and outro this week was written by Nolan Hayes as part of his uh, Patreon backer rewards. So you see, it was totally null season. That raccoon could have easily have nullified anyone. Raccoon season. Are you sure you're all right? I'm fine. Hey, you ever heard of a poor attempt at speech impediment before? Not that poor, no. <laughs> I have not. Ugh, could very easily be Ben hunting season very soon. That's all, folks. See you next time. Stay frosty, folks.
over. A user wins.